Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. It's a special day. We want to give honor and thanks to all of you who have really helped shape our lives. You've served, you've given, you've built our families, you blessed us with your caring and nurturing hearts. You continue to offer advice and direction, even when we don't want it. Sorry, sorry, Mom. Um, but you've taught us. You've taught us so many things. So, Moms, thank you. I've learned all kinds of things from my mom. My mom taught me religion. She'd say things like, you better pray that that stain comes out of the carpet. <laughs> my mother taught me medicine. She said, if you cross your eyes forever, they're going to stay that way. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done when she would say, if, you know, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. And I just finished cleaning. My mother taught me arithmetic. You have to the count of three. One, two. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why. Right? Okay, confession. Mom probably didn't say any of those things. So, Mom, I know she watches. Um, the only thing I remember her saying, though, was, you boys need to go outside. So I, there was a lot of direction there from Mom when we got a little too crazy indoors. But the one thing I know about my mom, and I'm sure many of you re- really appreciate about hopefully your mom is, my mom prayed for all of us kids on a daily basis. She prayed for us kids. She prayed for the grandkids. She prayed for the great-grandkids. And in a few months here, she's going to be praying for the great-great-grandkids. I missed a great in there, I think. But anyway, she's a prayer warrior. And ladies, we appreciate that. Ladies, we appreciate you. And uh, if you're not a mother... I'm going to assume you've been a motherly figure to somebody in your life. And so I want to say thank you as well. Ladies, we appreciate you. Obviously, uh, all of us have mothers. That's how we all got here, right? And uh, some of us, our mothers are still here. And some of us have not have lost our mothers. And some recently, you know, the flowers this morning. Uh, Sandy and, and uh, Linda and Bruce Moeller. Uh, put the flowers on, on the table this morning under their mother, Phyllis. And there's others who, you know, you'll probably have some, some tearful moments today, and you've had some, you will have some cheerful moments today. And we do want to take time to truly honor mothers. And I know sometimes people are like, oh, you make some people feel bad. It's mom. We need to honor moms. Um, and we're doing that. I want to continue, though, today in our adventure in the Bible series and yes, it's going to focus on a couple ladies. So men, don't tune out because there's a man in this story too. And, uh, and I believe all of us can walk out of here this morning prayerfully being blessed by God's word with what he wants to do in our lives. So go ahead and grab your Bibles open to the book of Ruth right after the book of Judges, which is where we've been. And it only makes sense because the time period of these judges just moves right into the story of Ruth. Matter of fact, one of the final verses in the book of Judges, Judges 21-25, says this. It says, the people did whatever seemed right in their eyes. It was a rebellious and messy time. Remember that? This is still going on. When Ruth enters the story here, when we, when we start focusing in on this book. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, starts off this way. In the days... When the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Now, the focus is on a little town called Bethlehem. You guys all know Bethlehem, right? Around Christmas, we always celebrate that. Well, we're on Bethlehem, which is actually called the, means the house of bread. 
Well, there's a famine going on in the house of bread in Bethlehem. Times are tough. So Elimelech and his wife Naomi move out of Bethlehem. They decide this is too much. We're going to go live in Moab. So they take their two sons and they leave town. Understand the trek and the journey that they are going on because they are leaving Bethlehem, the land of Judah, God's promised land, to go to Moab, which was a wilderness area, not God's promised land. Similar to the steps of Samson last week, right? Basically, they were going to have to leave and move through a desolate Jericho Pass. They would go through the wilderness area near the Dead Sea. They would have to cross the Jordan River and go into this land of Moab, again, leaving the promised land for a land that God said you were no longer part of. This is what Emilea and Naomi were doing with their two sons. Well, unfortunately, while they were there, um, he passed away, leaving Naomi by herself. Her sons got married, but 10 years later, the sons' wives, uh, they were Moabites, which you were not supposed to marry. Again, sort of breaking God's command here. 10 years later, these women lose their husbands. Naomi loses her sons. This book starts off in the first four verses. We have three funerals. Great book, right? I mean, wow, what a great start to this story. But it really sets up for what's going to be happening here. Because to understand this story, we have to understand to be childless in ancient times was one thing. But to be a childless widow was worse. You were totally dependent upon strangers. You had no family. Your husband is gone. Your, your children are gone. This is a dire situation. And this is where Naomi was in a land that wasn't hers, all by herself with her two daughter-in-laws. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Naomi heard that, you know, God's doing something big. The land is better, and, and so I want to go back. I she didn't only heard about good things happening, which is what a lot of us do. We hear something good's happening. Like, oh, I wish that was going on in my life. She's like, you know what? I'm going to make that a part of my life. I hear something that God is doing good back in Bethlehem and Judah. I'm going to go and be a part of that. She just didn't desire it. She acted upon it. So she's going to pack up her things. She's going back to the land of Israel. But listen, this is even more important. She's going back to her God. When she left that promised land, she went into enemy territory. And her sons married women that they were not supposed to marry. And now she's like, I'm going to go back to where I need to be. So Naomi blesses her daughter-in-laws, tells them, you can just go back to stay here at your hometown, find another man, remarry, I'm going to go. But her daughter-in-laws are like, no, we want to go with you and we love you. And there's a lot of weeping and a lot of special moments going on, a lot of clinging and, and uh, tears were shed. And then finally, as Naomi still tried to convince them, one of the daughters, Orpah, she said, I'll stay in Moab. So the daughter-in-law, um, Orpah, she was like, I'll stay here. Interesting thing about Orpah, by the way, she did remarry and she had four sons. One of her sons was Goliath. Interesting, right? The other daughter-in-law, her name was Ruth. Ruth was like, I'm just going to cling to you, Naomi. Look at verse 16 of chapter 1. 
says this. This is Ruth speaking to Naomi. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now understand this. This was more than just a change of address. This wasn't like Ruth is like just saying, you know, I'm, I'm just changing the position of where I'm, I'm living. It's I'm changing the God I worship as well. This is an incredible change. She had been forsaking the God of this universe, worshiping the Moabite gods. And now she's going to embrace the God of Israel when she follows Ruth. Look at what she said. She said, I want your God to be my God. That's a huge trust. That's a big turning away from a lifestyle. And as I thought about that phrase, I wonder how many of us can really relate to that phrase. How many of you are here today because of another person in your life lived a faithful life to God? A grandparent, a parent, a friend, somebody who lived such a godly life and you're like, I want your God to be my God. And it changed you and you decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe if that's not you, maybe you're living that life and somebody else is here today because of you. Somebody else is maybe at another church worshiping because of you. Because if you have been so faithful in your walk with Jesus Christ, they've looked at you and they've said, I want your God to be my God. And they looked at you and as they said that, maybe they didn't verbally say it, but that's what's happening. It's an amazing thing, right? Well, it's a long walk from Moab to Bethlehem. They probably had a lot of time to talk. But when they got there, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Now remember, Bethlehem's a small town, small towns. People know each other, right? Sort of pulling the town, like, oh, you know who's in town? Word spreads quickly. Everybody's excited to see Naomi. Naomi is back. But instead of being joyful all about it, verse 20 it says this, Naomi goes, don't call me Naomi anymore. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. <laughs> By the way, Naomi means pleasant. That was her name. It means pleasant. She goes, stop calling me pleasant. Call me bitter. My husband's gone. My sons are gone. I had to move back here, right? She said this. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon, upon me. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever blame God for something that's going on in your life? You ever experienced some kind of circumstance in your life or, or horrific situation? It's like, this is God's fault. Don't call me happy. Call me angry. Call me bitter. I'm just upset right now. You know, here's the amazing thing about Naomi. She had that rough moment. But you know what? She didn't stop there. She didn't camp there forever. She had questions, so she asked God questions. She was seeking, so she was pursuing God. Here's the thing. It's okay to be upset with God. It's okay to blame God. It's okay to ask questions. But you must ask questions. You must keep seeking. Ask, seek. He'll answer. 
Don't just be mad at him and just turn on him. You can be upset, but seek him in your emotion. He'll answer. He'll provide and let you know what's going on and why. And this is what's going on here. Chapter 2, we're introduced to a very wealthy man, influential man in Bethlehem. His name is Boaz. He's actually a relative of Naomi's husband, uh, Elimelech. There's a relationship there. Something to think about during this time of famine uh, was that he stayed, Boaz stayed in the land. And during those 10 years when they were gone, he uh, had a lot of prosperity. Things seemed to go well. You know, some people just dodge and I'm out of here, you know. And maybe if you stay, something big will happen. I don't know, but that did take place. Everybody else in Bethlehem survived the famine. They're still there, right? Look at verse 2. One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go into the harvest fields, pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. So this is Ruth, the Moabite woman, the foreigner, looking at her mother-in-law saying, hey, I'm going to go out in the field today and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, pick up the grains, okay? I'm going to go work. I'm going to go provide for you, mother-in-law. And she goes out into this field that belonged to, guess who? Boaz. Well, what a coincidence, right? One of the distant family members to Naomi. Didn't know it, right? There's going to be a lot of just so happens in this story, by the way. Those just so happens, by the way, coincidence, those are God sightings, just in case to you know, clue you in on that. So here they are. She's out there, and, and the people that were harvesting the fields, they're, they're, they were basically commanded in God's word to cut corners. In other words, leave the, leave the corners of the fields and the edges of the fields. Leave some of the grain there. If you're carrying a stalk, a bundle of grain, and you drop it, leave it there. This was God's way of helping farmers learn to be generous, Okay. So farmers, as they were going out and they would leave the edges open, they were being generous to those who were in need. And then those who were in need, you needed to go work for it. You didn't stay at home and let the money come to you or the food come to you. We're leaving it here for you. Go ahead and go work for it. So this was Israel's way of handling their economy, so to say, and saying, listen, this is our support system. People are in need. Farmers, be generous. People who are in need, go work. And this is how Ruth and Naomi survived through this situation. And it just so happens on that day, coincidence, right? It just so happens on the day when Ruth is out picking up all these grains on the edges, Boaz comes riding in. Because, you know, he's an influential man. He's in charge, so he's out and about. He's not always going to be watching that one field. But he he arrives that day. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. It says this. The foreman replied, and again, this is Boaz asking what's going on. She's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young men working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they've all drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I'm only a foreigner. Now, I underline that up on the screen because I want you to look at this. Because this is consistently on Ruth's mind. She didn't live there. She knew that. She had moved in from out of town. 
She's a foreigner. She's not accustomed to how they worship, how they do things. How if you've ever visited, if, matter of fact, if you're visiting this church today, this is your first time, or you've maybe visited the last month, I, I'm glad you're here. I hope you keep coming, and I apologize if anybody has not welcomed you yet. I hope you have felt welcome here. And if you're part of this church, welcome anybody you do not know. Even though it's like, I've seen them here for the last year, go meet them, okay? Because if you are visiting, it's an awkward thing at times. Because you don't know anybody. Everybody's got their own little tribes, their own little cliques, their own little groups. And the church is over and boom, everybody's talking, you know. And, then, and you're like, eh, I guess we'll just leave, right? Or maybe you've been new to a job, new to a school. Students, if you've ever had to transfer to a new school, it's challenging. You move in, you feel like so out of place. You're a foreigner. This is the life of Ruth. She's a, she feels like a foreigner. And all of a sudden, this man who owns the field comes up and is like, I want to help you out. I want to bless you. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to make sure that you're going to be okay. He had inquired about her. He heard her backdrop, her story. And now he's like, I want to bless you. She gets this undeserved kindness. That's another word for grace, right? He shows grace here. Think about this. When's the last time somebody's shown you grace? I know my parents showed me grace often. I did not deserve certain things, and they gave it to me. I deserve certain things, and they did not give it to me. That's called mercy, right? But I know I've been shown grace throughout my life, from gifts of forgiveness to little things I don't deserve. And here, Boaz knew that Naomi and Ruth had been through a rough life. And he's like, I'm going to show you undeserved kindness. And I want you to see what he does here. Think about this. It, just with his own field. In Boaz's field, this is what he did. She's going to find companionship. She's going to be able to work with other women. So just that alone, like, I know you feel like a foreigner. I know you feel you're by yourself. Why don't you hang out with some of these other women and get to know them? It's going to be good. And then I'm also going to show you this here in my field, and that is protection. I've talked to the other men. They will leave you alone. They're not going to be hitting on you. They're not going to be treating you harshly. You're going to find protection here, which is what every woman wants. Every woman wants to be loved. They want to be protected, right? You want that security. Boaz is showing this right here. Another thing he shows by her in this field is that refreshment. Are you thirsty? Come drink from our, our well. We'll take care of you. What a beautiful thing, right? So at this time, we have no idea of any kind of romantic connection between Boaz and Ruth, but we are seeing a lot of kindness being shown. Ruth worked hard, gathered barley all day. She began to beat that grain that evening, take things home uh, to Naomi. And Naomi is just floored. She says this, where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless you. Right? Bless the one who helped you. And I'm sitting there looking at it. It's like, she's asked the question. Ask the question. And before Ruth can even answer, she's like, who did this? Where did you get this? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Okay. I guess you didn't want me to answer. You're just excited. And she should be. Because remember, this is who? Bitter lady. Right? She, she, her and her husband went away from God. Rough things happen. Three funeral laters, ten years later, she comes back. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. And now what is she saying? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Ooh, God's doing a work in her heart, isn't he? A little softening going on. Ruth continued to work alongside the women in the fields, gather grains throughout that season. We get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, Ruth, Naomi starts to realize that Ruth needs a home. 
Naomi's of age. She's like, I, I've, I've grown older. I've had kids. And, and, but you, Ruth, you need a husband. You need security. You need a place of rest. I need to hook you up. So there's this thing in the Old Testament that we discover that it's, we then comes to life in the New Testament, which is pretty awesome. It's, it's, it has to deal with a kinsman redeemer is what it's called. If there's a close family relative in this situation, Naomi has nobody, but if she has a close family relative, that close family relative is, is obligated to buy her land, take care of her, and then if she has a daughter of age, she would marry that daughter. That's sort of the, or he would marry that daughter. That name is called the kinsman redeemer. This was set up in the Old Testament through the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. So basically, a kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. So if I had a family member that was in slavery, it was my obligation to buy them out of slavery as the kinsman redeemer. As a kinsman redeemer, it was my responsibility to avenge the blood of a family member at the hands of another person, to bring around that, that criminal action to help that person answer to the crime that they committed. That was my role. I was also responsible to care for the family name by marrying the uh, childless widow. That was the role of the kinsman redeemer. Everybody following me on that? Well, it just so happens that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He was related to Naomi's husband. So right away, Naomi's got this thing going, hmm, Boaz is one of our kinsman redeemers. He can marry Naomi or Ruth and everything will be great. Good plan, right? So Naomi gives Ruth these instructions. As we read these instructions, it's in chapter 3. It's almost going to sound sort of um, seducive in a sense, but this is a part of what they did, and I'll explain it as we go. Look at verse 7 with me, chapter 3. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain, and he went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and she laid down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over, surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Verse 9. Who are you? He asked. Because remember, it's dark. I'm your servant, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you're not gone, you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich, rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do whatever is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Again, these are the days of the judges. There's a lot of unrest and political war going on, different things. So it wouldn't be uncommon for thieves to come into the granary and steal grain. So Boaz would sometimes sleep in the granary to protect his grain. So as he's sleeping there, Ruth comes in and she lays down at the feet of of Boaz. Now, again, in this day, we have to understand this. A servant would sleep at the feet of their master. That's the position she's taking on right now. So when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she's basically saying, you need to humble yourself to serve him. This is the picture that's taking place. 
Boaz had been there basically to protect against thieves. He's laying there. He feels something going on at the bottom of his feet, and he wakes up. He's probably thinking it's a thief. He's probably ready to attack and find out what's going on. And then he finds out it's a woman. Oh, wait, it's, it's, it's Ruth. She identifies herself, and she makes a simple request. Listen to her, her request, and that is, spread the corner of your garment over me, which would be the, the blanket that you pull back. She's saying, spread the garment, the cover of the garment over me. What is she doing? It's like a marriage proposal. I'm asking you to marry me. Again, this is tradition going back in their time, part of their culture, okay? Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. Listen to this scripture. God used the same terminology in his relationship to the nation of Israel when he said this. So I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declared my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. God's like, I love my people. And I want to be your husband. I want to have a relationship with you, a covenant with you. And she uses, that's why culture, that's why they use this term of covering yourself with a cloak as this widow who is seeking a husband. Verse 13, before we get there, Boaz, though, he's, he's ready to say, yes, let's get married. But before he says it's like, actually, there's one other kinsman redeemer in our family who's ahead of me. We need to go to him first. Okay, so verse 13, we read, he says, Boaz says, if he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. So we end chapter 3 with sort of this dramatic point like, so who is she going to marry? Will this kinsman redeemer say, I want her? Or will Boaz, who's grown to love her, say, I get to marry her? What's going to happen, right? Next week we'll find, no. Chapter 4, turn to chapter 4, okay? Boaz goes to the gate of the city. This is the place where honorable men would meet and people gather in like a courtroom, like a chamber of commerce. And they're coming in and going. And Boaz comes in and sort of sits down. And it just so happens, that's how God works, that this other kinsman redeemer shows up. Now all these witnesses are around and they have a seat. And he shares about Naomi and her land. Well, the family redeemer says, oh, yeah, I'll buy the land. And Boaz like, all right, so be it. Oh, and by the way, Naomi has a daughter-in-law. You're going to have to marry her, too. That's part of the deal, you know. And all of a sudden, this other kinsman redeemer, the family redeemer, is like, okay, well, I'm already married. And uh, if I bring home another woman and my wife, this is just not going to be good. And uh, more responsibility. I changed my mind. I'm going to pass. You can buy the land and marry the woman. So be it. By the way, uh, as a kinsman redeemer, if you did not fulfill your obligations, your name was usually written out of the book. That's why we don't know this gentleman's name. See, the author of the book of Ruth is like, I'm not going to include the name because this guy said no to a responsibility he should have said yes to. Too bad for him. Yay for Boaz, right? And Ruth? Well, they all... All the witnesses are there to see what goes on. They shake sandals. It's another cultural thing. And everything's done. He goes home. He takes Ruth, become his wife. She gets pregnant. She has a little boy. Call him Obed. And uh, he became the father of Jesse, grandfather of David. Oh, you see the, the, the genealogy? Remember from David, we get Jesus. Boaz, the father of Obed, the father of Jesse, 
the father of David, continues down the line. And I was thinking about this. Naomi's return to Bethlehem is why Mary and Joseph had to go there for the census. Because they came back, and that's where he was born, and the whole lineage started. Ruth and Boaz are the reason why Jesus was born there, right? That's sort of part of the history here that we unfold. So what do we learn from this book of Ruth in the Old Testament? First of all, in the Old Testament, you will find in every book a connection to the New Testament. This old book, our Old Testament book, Ruth, has a beautiful connection of a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who is the Old Testament picture of Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who rescued us from sin and slavery, the one who came and loved us when we were unlovable and foreigners. A beautiful picture. You think about that, the duty of buying family members out of slavery. Jesus bought us out of slavery of sin and death, just as Boaz was motivated by, not by you know, the self-interest, but the love for Ruth, Jesus, out of his love, rescues us. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 to 8. There's this, this beautiful ministry of the Lord described as the, uh, the kinsman redeemer. Let me read this to you. Fear not, and this is what I actually read for the call to worship today. Fear not, you'll no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood. For your creator will be your husband and the Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. Verse 6, for the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with great compassion, I'll take you back. In a burst of anger, I turned my face for a little while. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Ladies, can you, can you relate to this story of Ruth at all? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking like Naomi, she faced a challenging time. And in her challenging time, she started to go in the wrong direction. And she became bitter. But she found favor with God. And although she was bitter over time, God softened her heart. And godliness started to appear in her life. Because remember, even though she was bitter, she was still a godly woman. She still loved the Lord. And even Ruth looked at her and said, what? I want your God to be my God. Ladies, how you trust in the Lord in tough times will often draw others to the Lord. So ladies, when you're going through a tough time, I just all I can say to you is press on. Keep trusting him. And whatever moment, whatever dire situation you're in, because you probably have another young lady. They said, you may not have kids, but you have young ladies that will look up to you. And they may say, I want your God to be my God. People can look at your life just as Ruth looked at Naomi's and say that. Or maybe like Ruth, maybe, maybe you have no hope. You've had a rough background, uh, but sort of like Ruth, but you can still choose to work hard, still choose to be faithful, still choose to be supportive to those around you and have a selfless attitude. Maybe there's something else from the story, ladies, that, that spoke to you. Maybe you feel like that foreigner. Nobody understands you. 
Why would anybody show me love? Because you've got a God that shows grace all the time. That's why. Men, there's a lot of learning from Boaz, right? Men, we can learn to be generous for those who are struggling, for those who are alone. He had no attractive uh, uh, feelings towards her at first. He's just like, you know what? Here's somebody who needs some help. I'm going to help her. She may not deserve it. She's a Moabite. (laughs) I'm going to help her. Men, I think we can learn from that. Who can we show grace to? And obviously, Boaz was the picture of, of Jesus Christ, the kinsman redeemer. Church, maybe today, maybe today we just all needed to be reminded that we are loved. That our Savior Jesus Christ has redeemed us. Regardless of what you've done, where you've been, what you've gone through, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, loves us and has saved us. Maybe that's what you needed to hear today. Because maybe you feel like you've been a little distance. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking you're unqualified. Can I remind you something? Boaz was a descendant of Rahab, the prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite, the people who were the enemy of God. God took Boaz and Ruth, two unlikely characters, and from them we have Jesus. Don't underestimate your background or how you feel about yourself and what God can do through you. Do you trust God? Do you trust him in these tough times? Worship team, would you come forward, please? Do you trust God when the future looks bleak? Are you willing to pursue him? You know, in 1859, a gentleman by the name of Charles Blondin crossed the Niagara Falls on a rope. 1,300 feet long, stretched across the Niagara Falls. I've told you about Charles Blondin before with the wheelbarrow story. But there's another story about him, and it involved his manager by the name of Harry uh, cord. His manager, can you imagine this? I mean, if, if I'm managing a superstar and, 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 and it's, my superstar comes to me and says, hey, Rex, um, one of my tricks today that I'm going to do on that tightrope, you know, I'm going to walk across the Niagara Falls, 1,300 feet distance. Here's what I want to do today. I want you to get on my back and I'll piggyback you across with me. And I'm going, <laughs> find a new manager. Okay, that's what I'm doing, right? You really think I'm going to jump on your back and trust you to carry me over certain death? I don't think so. Harry jumped on the back of Charles Blondin, and off they went across that tightrope, Niagara Falls. He didn't do it just once. He did it a couple times. According to uh, some records that were made, Harry said this in regards to a conversation that took place between him and Charles as they're, one of the times they're going across. Blondham gave him the, the following instructions. He said this, look up, Harry. And I, when I clear this place and, and until I clear this place, be a part of me. One mind, one soul, one body. If I sway, sway with me. Don't try to attempt to balance yourself. If you do, we will both die. Trust me. Just move with me. And I was thinking about that. That's good advice for all of us who follow Christ, isn't it? 
to be one mind, one body, one soul with Jesus. If God says, I want you to sway this way, then sway this way. Don't try to balance life out on your own. It's challenging, isn't it? Trust him. Hold on. Keep your sights set above. Amen? Would you stand, please? We need to keep looking up and live by faith, right? In challenging times. Because we have a redeemer who's already saved us from sin, who's already saved us from certain death. We have a redeemer. That's good news, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, God, that we're able to look back in history at someone who was challenged immensely with three funerals in a short time. That was a rough start. And some of us have had rough starts. Some of us have tough patches in our life when we sort of wonder what's going on and we want to change our name to bitter, to disappointed, to lonely. We've all come up with little labels to put upon ourselves in our moments of difficult times. But you are an amazing God. And you say, let me remove those labels. You're my child. And I'm your redeemer. And I will rescue you out of sin. I will rescue you out of death. I will rescue with my grace, my loving kindness, my acts of mercy and grace. I'm rescuing you. God, thank you for rescuing us. God, thank you for reminding us today of the role of the kinsman redeemer. God, help us to trust you. Help us to sway with you, to walk with you. Lord, be the Lord of our life. Be the Lord of our life. We love you, Lord. God, we want to sing to you now. We want to sing a song of truth, a song of hope, a song of love. God, may you be honored by what comes out of our mouth. In our name we pray, amen.